All right, so tonight we are picking up the Old Testament story in 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22. This is page 310 in the black books, which are the Bibles in the pews. 310. So, so we're getting deep now into the Old Testament, and we've covered a lot of ground. And just to give you a little framework of the story that we're going to read, we're going to read a story about Josiah, a king, and Huldah, a prophet. And to, know, to understand Josiah, you need to know that his grandfather was Manasseh, who was a king, and he is rated as like the worst king ever. Like horrible, horrible person. Uh, he was basically a puppet of the Assyrian government at that time, and so he tried to please the Assyrian government and took on all of their worship practices, including, for example, having people sacrifice their children to a god named Moloch. And this involved putting their children in a fire. And so uh, he had them sacrificing their children. He put male and female prostitutes in the temple of the Lord. He set up all of these different gods within the temple and set up all of these different places around. So when you uh, read about different kings of Judah and kings of Israel, he is one of the worst. Ahab is probably the worst for Israel. He's probably the worst for Judah. So Manasseh then has Ammon, his son, who carries things on the same way. His son gets uh, killed by his people, like have a little coup and kill him. And then Josiah at that time is only eight years old. And he becomes the one who is king at the age of eight. And now someone in Josiah's life, we're not told who, someone in Josiah's life just begins to teach him about the ways of Yahweh and softens his heart to this idea. So we're going to pick up this story when Josiah is of age and he's beginning to make some changes. He's saying that we've got to clean up this temple. We've got to clean up the temple. So that's where we're going to pick it up. This is 2 Kings 22. We're going to read all of 22 and a bit of 23. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord. Now he's already been doing some renovations here. He says, go up to the high priest Hilkiah and have him count the entire sum of money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold had collected from the people. Let it be given into the hands of the workers who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workers who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters, to the builders, to the masons, and let them use it to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that's delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. The high priest Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, um, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. When Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, he read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workers who had oversight in the house of the Lord. Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, the priest Hilkiah has given me a book. Shaphan then read it aloud to the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, 
Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and the king's servant, Asiah, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our ancestors did not obey the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So the priest, Hilkiah, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah, went to the prophetess Huldah, the wife of Shalem, son of Tikvah, son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. She resided in Jerusalem in the second quarter where they consulted her. She declared to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, I will indeed bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have abandoned me and made offerings to other gods, so that they have provoked me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But as to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Therefore I will gather you to your ancestors, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring on this place. They took the message back to the king. Then the king directed that all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem should be gathered to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both great and small. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. All the people joined in the covenant. And then he goes through the land, and he wipes out all the altars to other gods. And then we'll pick it up at 21. The king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as prescribed in this book of the covenant. No such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, even during all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums, wizards, teraphim, idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, so that he established the words of the law that were written in the book that the priest Helkiah had found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Israel, nor did any like him arise after him. This is the word of the Lord. Now we read that and we think, really? Like they lost the book of the law? They lost it? Like they misplaced it? What was going on? They forgot to celebrate the Passover? 
the Passover? Like for years, for generations, they just forgot? How did they get here? How did they end up here? Well, last week you heard about David, right? So we had King Saul, and then we had King David, and after David was King Solomon, his son. And Solomon enlarged the kingdom of Israel by making treaties with all the other kings that were around. And there were lots of kings, little kings of little lands and kings of big lands. And the way in which he made treaties with them was that he would marry one of their daughters. That would be like a mutual investment in the success of both kingdoms. And so he married lots of people. Lots of people. Lots of people. And when these women would come into the kingdom, he would let them bring in their gods, you know, to be nice, like tolerant and accommodating and stuff. And so they would set up their places where they would worship their gods, you know, and then every now and then, just just to be nice, to be a good guy, like he would go with them, and he would, you know, worship their god, whatever. And then slowly, you know, he started to do a little bit more. And then other people started to do it with him. And they were worshiping all these different gods all the time. And all of the stories of these other gods began to be told and told and told and told. So that the story of the God Yahweh and his unique relationship with the people of Israel just became one story among the other stories. And the other stories were new and they were kind of cool. They were about like this God, Baal, who threw lightning. He was really great. He was like the flash of the Old Testament. (laughs) Very fast, very powerful, cool suit, whole thing. And if you made a calf out of gold, like that's how you could access him. And if you like worship that calf and honored that little calf, that would like give you good access to Baal. Then there was this goddess Asherah. And if you worshiped her, she would bless you with fertility, your crops, would grow, you'd have good seasons of harvest, you would have lots of children. And then there were these people who told you about the gods of the stars. And if you watched the stars, you could chart them, and then you could predict the future. And everybody had these signs. You're not going to believe this. Everybody had these, like, signs, depending on when they were born. I know, it's crazy. And then... (laughs) And then they would like watch them and they would tell you because your sign is like now and the house is in the side of the moon or whatever, like that would predict your future. Crazy. (laughs) And so that was, these were the stories that were being told again and again and again and again. So much so that the story, the story, just became one of many stories. And we hear that and we think, wow, that's crazy. I mean, forgetting the story, forgetting Passover, that's like forgetting forgetting Christmas, right? It's like we're not going to forget Christmas. I mean, that would be like saying Christmas is about Santa or something like that. (laughs) Oh, crazy. It would be like saying saying Christmas is about presents. I mean, it would be crazy. It would be like saying... People get more excited about Black Friday and Cyber Monday than they do about Christmas. Can you imagine a world like that? It's crazy. It would be like saying, it would like if people thought that the 12 days of Christmas were a countdown to Christmas. Instead of actually being 
a 12-day festival of the birth of the Lord that stretches from December 25 to January 6. Like, imagine if people thought that the 12 days of Christmas was a countdown rather than the actual festival. That would be crazy. Do <laughs> you see how it happens? You see, the other stories are louder and they have slick advertising campaigns and they start now. You go out as soon as the last doorbell is rung on October 31, the Christmas decorations go up. And it's not nativities and candles and let's have moments of quiet in the store where we reflect and move into a season of Advent repentance. It's not that. It's Santa and it's loud and it's presents and it's gifts and you must have the perfect holiday. The idolatry of the perfect holiday swells at this time of year and if your holiday is in any way imperfect, if your relatives come over and that turkey is not golden brown, well then, you have failed. (laughs) Do you hear how the story that matters most can easily be drowned out by the other stories? And that's just a seasonal story. There are other false stories that we hear all the time. The false story of FOMO, the fear of missing out. The false story that says to you, everybody else did great on their midterms, you didn't. You're missing out. Missing out on that scholarship. Too bad for you. Everybody else is romantically involved with somebody. Everybody, you're missing out. Everybody else was invited to a Halloween party. Just look at your Instagram. Everyone, you weren't. You're missing out. Everyone is having a better life than you are living. Everyone you know, everyone around you right now, they're having a better life. You are not having a better life. That story comes out loud and it comes out all the time. Every time you check social media, you are convinced that at least 12 other people are living a better life at that moment than you are. And that story is loud and it is persistent and it's a lie. Another loud lie we hear is the story of the planned life. Listen, my children, to this story. This is the story that says if you pick exactly the right classes and you end up in exactly the right major and you land exactly the right internship, then you will get exactly the right job and you will have a good life. And that story is so persistent and it is so pervasive that when we end up in philosophy 153b rather than 153c, we are convinced that the whole thing is doomed. Oh, I have Corcoran and not DeYoung. Oh. (laughs) Right? Have you been living this lie for the last few days since you've been registering? If this all doesn't come together, my entire life is over. (laughs) 
That is the lie, that is the story that is told again and again and again and again and that's why you haven't slept well and that's why you are anxious and that's why already tomorrow you are planning to be at the registrar's office at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> These are the lies and they are loud. This summer I was on retreat with some students and we played this game that involved one student wearing a blindfold and another student was to call to the person wearing the blindfold and direct them through a maze of inner tubes on the ground. The inner tubes were the mines in the minefield and if the person with a blindfold hit an inner tube, they were out. So imagine you've got four people with blindfolds four different people yelling at the four different people. A little chaotic. Add in the wrinkle that anybody else on any other team could also be yelling at the players. So suddenly, you have one blindfolded person straining her ears to hear the voice of truth coming from a teammate who's screaming at her, two steps forward, two steps forward! And someone over here is like, go left, go left, go right, go right. And they would just freeze, not knowing where to go. Because there are all of these voices coming at them and they weren't sure which one was the true one. That's life. It's so chaotic and so loud, sometimes we have a hard time hearing the true story. And it was the same thing for the people of Israel. That's why when Josiah is growing up, he, he doesn't hear the story of the law. He doesn't hear about Passover. These things have not been told to him. And so when the book of the law is found, he rips his clothes because he thinks, if this story is true, we are in big trouble. If this story is true, everything needs to change. And so the first thing he has to do is figure out, is this story true? Is this thing real? Or maybe it's just a fable. Maybe it's a fairy tale. Maybe it's a myth. And so he gathers his leaders, his cabinet, his people, and he sends them to Huldah. This is the only time we hear about Huldah. There were other prophets that were around Jerusalem in the day. Jeremiah, you may have heard of him. He was around in that day. Zephaniah, Nahum, all around during that time. But when Josiah needs to know, is this the thing? Is this the real story? He sends his folks to Huldah. And Huldah is not looking to impress anyone. She's not impressed by them. Did you notice that she says, um, tell the guy who sent you, oh, that, that would be the king, that would be the king of Judah. She's like, just tell that guy that sent you, yeah, this is exactly what's going to happen. These things are true. She says to them, this book, this book is different from any other book. This book is the truth. This book is the word of the Lord. And when Huldah did that, she became the first person to say that scripture was scripture. 
She became the first person to say, there is a book that is different from any other book. There is a story that is different from any other story. When you sit in Bible class, you sit there because of people like Huldah, who said, we've got a book, and we need to pay attention to it, because this tells the true story. That's Huldah. This is true, and you need to pay attention. And then in that moment, not only does he say this is true, but she also gets a word for Josiah, and she says, because you know that the story is true, because you have shaped your life in response, knowing that the story is true, because you have been humble and repentant, you will be spared from witnessing the destruction that is to come. But the destruction will come. And what does Josiah do? He could have just said, well, all right. There's really nothing I can do about this. But he doesn't. He gathers everybody. Everybody. Jerusalem, all the priests, all the prophets, all the men, all the women, from the smallest to the greatest, gathers them all together. And he reads them the story. He reads them the whole story. And it says that he leads the people through covenant renewal. Now, we've been talking about covenants this semester, right? A covenant is a promise that God makes to his people. He made promises to Adam and Eve. He made promises to Noah, promises to Abram slash Abraham, Sarai slash Sarah, promises to Moses and the people. When this law came to them from Sinai, and Moses said to them, are you, re- are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Thank you. That's what they said. That's what they said. They said, yeah, this is great. We are all in. God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. If you do all of these things, you will have a great life. You will be blessed. If you obey everything that's written here, your crops will not fail. You will flourish in the land. You will be healthy. Good things will come to you if you are obedient. And if you're not, bad things will come. So they say, yeah, we're all in. And then again, right before they go into the promised land, Joshua gathers everybody together again. And he says, I don't know where y'all are at, but as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And they say, no, 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 we are too. We are too. We're all in. We're all in. So there are different points at which the people of Israel say, yes, we're in. We're in. We're in this story. We get it. We got it. Covenant renewal. We're all in. And then, you know, they kind of, Don't do so well. So Josiah takes this moment and he gathers all of his people together and he says, this is the story. This is the story that matters. This is the story that shapes us. This is the story that's true. And then he goes out through all of the land, and he wipes out anything that is telling a different story. Any altar to Baal, any golden calf, any Asherah pole, destroyed. In fact, he doesn't just destroy them. He, like, burns them down and then grinds them up. And then he burns up human bones, and he sprinkles them on the places where these gods were worshipped so that they are completely defiled. He goes to the place 
where they would sacrifice children, and he completely destroys it. He tears it down. He grinds it down. He burns it. He destroys it. Anything that tells a different story, he destroys. The story of Baal, the story of Asherah, the stories of astrology, he destroys all of them. And then he gathers the people together, and they celebrate Passover. Passover. Now, many of you know Passover. Passover was the last night before the people were freed from Egypt. God went to them, and he said, tonight the angel of death is going to come and kill every firstborn male of the Egyptians. And if you, Israel, sacrifice a lamb and you take the blood of the lamb and you put that blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house and you will be saved. And so Josiah gathers together the people and they celebrate Passover which is a celebration of God's faithfulness, of God's rescue, of God's freedom for them. It's a celebration of fresh starts, new beginnings. This is a new chapter. We are moving out of slavery to the old gods, and we are moving into freedom and worshiping the one true God. We are moving into the story, the true story. And Josiah and in Huldah, God calls his people back into the story, back into the covenant, back into covenant renewal. Now, some of you know Professor Whitley teaches in theology, teaches worship. And he says that every time we gather together for worship, we're renewing the covenant. That's what we're doing. Every time we gather for worship, it's a time of covenant renewal. Because when we're together in this space, this is what we do. We tell the story again, right? We did it tonight. First, we praise God. We remember who he is. Then we remember how often we forget him. And we confess our sins. And we hear forgiveness. And then we gather and do an offering. And we pray and we hear scripture and we hear a message we have the sacrament, we have a blessing. We tell the whole story of the relationship between God and God's people. We renew the covenant. God says to us tonight, are you guys all in? He says to us tonight, are you guys all in? Yes. yes. And we say, it is Sunday night. I could be doing many other things. I am here. I am in. I am excited. This is my God. This is my story. I'm all in. That's what we do here in worship. That's what you did this morning if you worshiped somewhere else. You renew the covenant. You say once again, this is my God. This is our God. We are his people. We are all in. And we need that every week because we are very forgetful. We are very forgetful people. And we have the blessing here of getting to worship every day. And every now and then, someone will, will say to me, like, why isn't every chapel like Friday chapel? And I'll say, because Friday doesn't tell the whole story. Friday is great. Friday, we remember who God is. We praise him. It's celebrative. We often have a word of scripture. We often have prayer, but it doesn't tell the whole story. We don't confess our sins on Fridays, usually. We don't lament on Fridays. We don't take an offering. We don't celebrate the sacraments on Fridays. 
And if your life, your life with God is in a place of sorrow or heartache, Fridays are hard. If you're somebody who's got trouble with crowds, Fridays are hard. They don't tell the whole story. We need worship that tells the whole story. So our promise to you as worship planners and worship leaders is that when you come to Loft, we're going to tell you the whole story. We're going to tell you about the amazing God who created the world. We're going to tell you about sin and its impact on our lives. We're going to tell you about redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ. We're going to point to the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to tell the whole story. We're going to renew the covenant together. We're going to tell the story of a God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're going to tell a story of a community of faith where hurting people matter, where marginalized people matter. We're going to tell a story of a community of faith where the least and the little and the last and the lost matter. We're going to tell that story because it's the one true story. And we need to hear it again and again and again because those other stories are so loud. We come into this space to remember that we are in this story. We are in the story of a rabbi who gathered with his disciples to celebrate Passover, to celebrate freedom, to celebrate a fresh start. And after he and his disciples had told that story one more time, he added a twist. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he broke it, he blessed God. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed God, he poured it and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the story. We proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We proclaim that the covenant matters. We proclaim that we are part of this story. We proclaim that we are all in. Despite our sins, despite our feelings, despite the loud noises in our ears, we gather around this table and God says to us, are you all in? And we say, yes. We say, yes, we are all in. Yes, we are in. This is our story. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Our God, we lift up our hearts to you tonight. We praise you, God, our creator, for you have knit us together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you call us 
your children. You call us yours. You call us into the story. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you entered into our story. You entered into this mess. We pray that you help us to hear your voice above all other voices. We thank you that when we turn aside, when we fail to cast down our idols, that you come alongside, invite us again into confession and repentance and the receipt of forgiveness. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do not give up on us and you are constantly calling out the truth into our ears, constantly telling us the story. Help us to listen. As we take now this bread and this cup, we pray that they become for us in ways beyond our understanding the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nourish us, renew us in your story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostles' Creed is spoken around the world in all different languages, by all different kinds of people. So tonight, we enjoy the Apostles' Creed. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He descended to hell. The third day. He arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe. I believe. I, I, I believe. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I think you're looking at saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. 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 And now we invite you to stand in body or in spirit and join your voice, whatever it looks or sounds like, as we declare this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his, his only Son, Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. 